your blessings on this day. Father, we pray for your guidance and direction, and we pray for these that have been mentioned this morning. Lord, that uh, you would meet them where their need is, and that, Lord, you would answer their prayers. Guide us now as we look into your word and open it up for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, why don't you all be seated. While you're being seated, let me put a plug in for lunch, okay? If you're planning to leave, don't. It's raining out there anyway, so just stay here, okay? It's going to be a great taco lunch. We've got desserts you can buy. This is a fundraiser for the children's camp, so don't uh, just run out the door. Stick around here and have some fun with us, all righty? You know, have you ever imagined what it would be like to be one of the Old Testament heroes, one of the people in the Old Testament, uh, Noah, David or Samson, some of these guys. If I could pick somebody, I'd probably want to be like Noah. I probably would want to have been Noah in the Old Testament. The thing about Noah is he didn't have to fight anybody. He just built an ark. And the, the most fascinating thing to me is when he gets off the ark. Can you imagine to be the you and your three sons and their wives and your wife, eight people, the only people on earth? The whole stinking place is yours. You can go anywhere you want to and do anything you want to. But uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, crowding or anything. I think I would want to be Noah. But can you imagine, because we're studying now in uh, the book of Judges, we're studying Samson. But let's think for a moment about Samson. What it would be like to be Samson, to have the power that Samson had. A lot of people, when they think of Samson, what he must have looked like. Have you ever thought about that? What this guy must have looked like. You would think to yourself, well, he probably had the physique or the build of a power lifter. I mean, Garrett maybe. Would it, be, it could be a Samson. You know, probably you would think he would probably be more like an Arnold Schwarzenegger or somebody like that. But in reality, he probably was just an ordinary man. Now, here's the reason I say that. It's because... All through his story, you always find people that are wanting to discover the secret to his power. Now, if he was built like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, they would have thought, well, the muscles are the secret to his power. But they couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out why it was so special. And not only that, but you're going to find, as you look through his story, every time that he did something uh, supernatural, something, some great feat of strength, it always says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and then he did this. Uh, the implication being that without the Spirit having come upon him, he couldn't have done it. So a lot of theologians believe that Samson was just like an ordinary man. He wasn't anything special as far as his build or his physical power, because God wanted everybody to know that the power came from him. But pow the power of God like that, I mean, you just think about that. Now, the Bible teaches us, and we're going to look at this today, that when you are in a moment of, of need in your life, that the same Spirit and the same power come upon you. The Spirit's already there, but we don't always utilize the power that's there. But whenever you have a need, the power is there. This is what Paul, I believe, was referring to in this verse. And watch this verse. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. I want to know Christ. Now, Paul was a believer. He's not talking about his salvation. He's talking about as a believer. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Now he's saying basically, I want to know him in such a way that I experienced the power, the same power that resurrected him from the dead. 
The same power that God used or exerted to bring him back to life after having taken on the sins of the world. I want that in my life. I want to experience that power and what that must have been like. So today what we're going to do is this. We're going to talk a little bit about power, resurrection power in the life of a believer. And we're going to talk about what it looks like and we're going to then discuss how to tap into it. Now, what I'm going to share with you today are my thoughts, okay? Um, As I put this together, this is basically all me. Uh, I say that because sometimes you use commentaries and other theologians and try to, you know, use their material sometimes and get ideas, but this is all mine. I'm telling you that because you may disagree with it, and that's okay. Um, But but tonight, when you get into your groups... and you are discussing this, then please feel free to share your ideas about what we're going to be talking about today. Let's jump in here, because I want to look, beginning with Judges chapter 14, we're going to be looking in the first seven verses of this. Let me read through this for you real quick. Samson, we've just talked about in the previous chapter, his birth, the circumstances of all of that. Now you come to, now he's a young man. And it starts out in chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now, the tradition or the custom of the day was that parents make the arrangements. They do all the financial dealings, the dowry and things like that. They make the plans for the wedding. This is the reason he's telling his parents to go get her. Now, notice how the parents respond in the next verse. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for... At that time, they were ruling over Israel. Now stop there for a moment. This is a Philistine woman. These are the people that God has brought Samson into this world to defeat. They are controlling Israel at this time. And pretty soon, Samson is going to get turned loose on them. And so it's odd that he would go and want to marry a Philistine woman. Not only that, but it's probably a sinful act. The law required that you marry not the pagans of the land, but you marry within your people. So this is out of character. Even his wife, I mean, his um, parents understand that you shouldn't be getting a wife from the Philistines. But he says, do it anyway. And what's interesting is it says that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to cause a fight, basically. God's trying to stir things up so that he can then bring Samson in to defeat them. And that raises a lot of questions. Is God telling his father and Samson to do something that is contrary to the law? Or is God saying he's going to do it anyway and I'm going to make the best of it? Some theologians believe either way. I'm not here to debate that, but it is an interesting concept that here God is telling him and is in this somehow causing this to happen. The next verse says that Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, Suddenly a young lion comes roaring toward him. Now watch, here's that phrase. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands 
as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Now notice what it says. The lion comes out. He, he, he tears the lion apart, mean, meaning that he ripped it apart with his bare hands. The Spirit of the Lord came on him, and this took place. Now, there are going to be several instances that I want to show you where Samson goes and does something supernatural. But again, it's not because of his own power or strength. Other examples where Samson has done something or will do something in the future that is supernatural. There's an incident recorded in Scripture where 30 of the Philistines come against him. And with his bare hands, he destroys them. And it says in uh, chapter 14, verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So they're stating it again. Same occasion of, of killing the 30 Philistines that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. There's another situation that's mentioned here in this book where a thousand Philistines come at him at one time. And it says in chapter 15, verse 14, that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And he reaches over and he picks up the jawbone of a dead donkey and kills a thousand of them. That's not human. That's not human strength. That is not something that he could have done on his own. But each and every time, it seems like the Bible teaches that the Spirit of the Lord came on him, and then he was able to do this. There are other occasions. One time he rips the city gates out of the city wall, posts and all, carries them up to the top of the hill and drops them off. There, of course, is the time when at the end of his life he pushes the pillars of the temple out and the, pillar, the temple falls upon all the Philistines and him as well. He ruled or led Israel for 20 years and we're told in Scripture that he did so much more than this than is even mentioned in the Bible. And each and every time the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he did what he did, what he did by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. Now... I don't know about you, but I've, I've, all of my life growing up, I would read the stories of the Old Testament heroes, the champions, and I would always say this. I would always say, you know, man, if I only had that kind of power, if I only had that kind of strength, if I only could have done what they do, boy, just think what, how cool that would be and what you could accomplish. Well, here's what we're going to be talking about today, and that is simply this. That when it comes to the power of these Old Testament champions, you have that power. You have that power. Now, you've got to listen to what I'm saying here, okay? The power just looks different. It's the same spirit. The same spirit that led Noah to build the ark and helped him to accomplish what he did is the same spirit that led David to conquer Goliath. The same spirit that came upon Samson whenever there was a need for him to do something supernatural. And the same spirit that Paul is talking about when he's talking about, I want to know him and I want to know that power. I want to experience it. You see, in the Old Testament, God was building a nation. Now think about this. He needed warriors, he needed fighters, he needed champions. And so God empowered them to accomplish the task. Destroy these people. They're wicked. They're going to influence my nation of Israel. So he did. And time after time, that's what they did because that's what God needed. He was building a nation. Today, God's not building a nation. 
God is building a spiritual kingdom. It's called the church. God is building the church. God doesn't need a Samson or a David or a Noah or any of the rest of the Old Testament believers. God doesn't need them and their power. God needs you. Because what God is building is something totally different. The nation had its purpose. The nation was to usher usher in the Messiah, to protect the Scriptures and, and all of these things. But what God needs now is to build the church, to build the kingdom of God here. And it's a spiritual kingdom. It's something that requires spiritual weapons and spiritual warfare and spiritual power. But the power is the same as that of Samson and the others. Same Holy Spirit, same power. You see, God doesn't need a physical sword. What he needs is a spiritual sword, this right here. You see, God needs a spiritual warrior, somebody that will go out and accomplish his task that he gives them to do, and it's always a spiritual task in nature. You minister to people, you love people, you reach out to people, you lead them to Christ, you disciple them. All of the things that we are, as Christians have been called to do, the same power that helped Samson accomplish what he accomplished is the same exact power that God gives to you and me. And the same spirit that God says came upon Samson is the same spirit that lives in you as a believer. Now the problem is we don't always utilize it. We don't always step out in faith and watch to see as the spirit just sort of rises up in power and strength in your life. The Bible tells us that you have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need is right there. You've got it. But we don't always utilize it. And so even though the power is the same, the calling is different. We've talked about this for the past few weeks. What God has called you to do is different than what God called these people to do. But nonetheless, we're called upon to accomplish it now. There's an interesting verse, I think it's in Samuel, where at the end of David's life, this is said about him. It says that David accomplished God's purpose for him in his time, and then he died. You see, when we come to the end of our lives, what we want to be said about us is that Joe or Sally or Bob or Bill or whoever you are, that they accomplished God's purpose for them during their lifetime, and now they go to be with him. So you see, it's not about being a champion. It's not about having that kind of a a power or that kind of a task or whatever. It's about being who you are in this day and age, accomplishing what God has called you to do with the same power that he used in the Old Testament. You've got it right there. You've just got to utilize it and tap into it. And so I want to share with you today, and these are ten ways that the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in you today. Now, I just came up with them. I just jotted them down. I ended up with ten of them. There may be a whole lot more and probably are. And tonight, when you get into your groups, you be thinking about this. And if you have a brainstorm or really a good idea during this time and you write it down in the margin there of your, your notes, be sure and share that tonight when you get into your groups because you want to talk about this and talk about how does that power manifest itself in our lives today? How do we see it working? All right, let me sh- go through these with you real quick. 
The same Holy Spirit accomplished this, the same things. Number one, miraculous answers to prayer. Miraculous answers to prayer are a way in which God's power is displayed in your life. You have the privilege of going straight to the Father, not through a priest, but straight to the Father on your own, and you pray and God responds. And the power that God gives you is the same power they used then right there inside of you. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit that lives in us knows what we need of before we ever ask it, and then in fact He is praying to the Father on your behalf even though you don't know the words to use. That's power. Direct access to God, that's power. But yet we don't utilize it. We don't tap into it. And there are miraculous answers to prayer waiting. And we're letting them fall by the wayside because we don't have enough faith to step out and take the chance to pray that God would do something miraculous and see what God does. Here's the second way in which the power of the Holy Spirit is at work today. He provides for you a hedge of protection around you. A hedge of protection around you. God talks about how that He takes care of you and protects you. And if we could pull back this physical world and just roll it back and see the spirit world, what you might find are are legions of angels surrounding you and God protecting you. I mean, how many times have you gone through situations where you should have died, but you didn't? Because God says, you're mine and my power is here to protect you. My goodness, folks, if I really believed that, wouldn't I take more risks to do something great for him that maybe I'm scared to death to do? Wouldn't it? Here's a third way, and that is because of the Spirit of God, we have the same power or have power over the satanic world. We have power over the satanic world. That's only because of what God does. When the Spirit of God wells up inside of us. And I say that because He doesn't come upon you. He's already there. But it's like you He just rises up and bubbles over. So when He wells up inside of us, we experience this power. Paul said in Colossians that He has disarmed the principalities of darkness. He's disarmed them. They can't hurt you. That is an amazing fact. Back in the Old Testament, they were scared to death of those things. And that's the reason I believe God told him, stay away from it. For us, God says, attack. <laughs> you know, they've been disarmed. Don't you be afraid. James says in James 4, 7, he says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You mean the devil that caused all of the trouble in this world that attacked Adam and Eve and caused all this mess to start with, that same devil... He'll run from me? Yeah. Just stand up. Just stand up. Just submit yourselves to the Lord, resist Him, and He walks away because He can't do anything. That's power. And it's yours. It's power. Number four, you have the power to say no to any temptation. Power to say no to any temptation. See, a lot of us, we don't believe this. The Bible teaches it. God is, has the, you have the power at your disposal to break any chain to which you're bound. Everything. But you don't realize that, and therefore you don't use it. But God says, you don't have to give in. You've lied to yourself. You've listened to the devil's lies all these years, and that's really the only 
power that he has at this point is that he can lie to you. Why do you believe that? Because God says you have the power to stand up and you have the power to say no. You do not have to give in to any temptation. You have the power within you to stand. Then do it. Here's number five. You have the power to provide boldness to comfort your fears, or to confront your fears, I'm sorry. Boldness to confront your fears. Now this one is important, not that the others aren't, but just think about this, okay? Everything that you are afraid of in your Christian life, witnessing, praying in public, you know, assisting people because they may not understand, tell them that you love them because they're going to think you're crazy, all the things that you're afraid of, in this Christian life, God says, I will give you boldness because this is where you're fighting your battles, you see. This is where your strength, like Samson's, comes into play. When you're out there ministering and making disciples and loving people and telling them about Jesus, I am going to be there for you. I will well up inside of you and of my spirit will empower you in ways you never thought possible. You know that to be true because you've experienced it on similar occasions. Some of these guys that have been into prisons and jails, and they'll tell you, I was scared to death. I never thought I could do that. I felt the same way the first time I went in because that was new territory to me and very, very intimidating. Years and years ago, I went in, and all of a sudden, it's like you lose all of your fears, and God just wells up inside of you, and you begin to witness and say things that you never imagined you would be able to do. And God saves people, and you leave there rejoicing, and all you can say is praise God because I've seen the power of God. The power of God. The power to confront your fears. Here's the sixth one. That because of the Spirit, you have the power to change the way you think and feel. The Spirit of God will change the way you think and the way you feel. Now, this is so important, okay? Oh, man. How many times have you been in turmoil and afraid and worried and just given up hope and all of these things, and God miraculously changes your mind and your heart? And all of a sudden, where there used to be worry and turmoil, God has placed within you peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Nobody can explain it. Whole world crumbling around you. Family members are dying. Family members are going to jail. You're worried about this. You're worried about that. And then all of a sudden, the power of God comes over you in peace. That's power. When you've been around people or related to people or somebody in church that you just don't really like and God gives you love for that person. Where'd that come from? The Holy Spirit. Man, that's power. When God can change your heart like that, when you have wanted to say something to somebody and witness to them or share the love of Christ and all of a sudden in your mind ideas pop into your mind and memories and things you've studied before that you've long forgotten. My goodness, those things just flow. Why? Because that's the power of God. So yeah, power. Here's the seventh one. Guidance to make the right decisions. Wisdom is what we're talking about. Because of the power of God living in you and working in you, just like Samson, 
you have the power to make right, godly decisions. All you've got to do is pray. All you've got to do is seek it. God says, I'll be there for you. I will come powerfully upon you like you did in the Old Testament. I will be there for you. That's power. Number eight, faith to believe even when it makes no sense. How can you believe something when it makes absolutely no sense? Well, that's the work of God in your heart. You can't explain it. But what a powerful tool to give you faith to move out to do things and to believe God when everybody's laughing at you and it makes no sense. But that's power. And it'll be there for you when you need it. Number nine, power to keep going. Endurance. You're at your... You're on your last straw here. I mean, you're about to break. And you think this has gone beyond the breaking point. And all of a sudden, God gives you strength and endurance. And you keep going. And you won't give up. That didn't come from you. That's the power of God. And lastly is this. The power to understand the mysteries of God. How can I read the Bible and understand things and to believe those things and to see it in there and it just sort of makes sense. And you've been there. You know what we're talking about. The mysteries of God. The whole world is looking and mocking and laughing because they don't understand. But you do. That's power. That's power. So yeah, you see, Christian, you and I have the same power that Samson and the rest of them had. It manifests itself in different ways because the times are different. God doesn't need a champion. He doesn't need a swordsman. God doesn't need a warrior. What God needs are believers who are filled with the Spirit and filled with love and filled with the power of God to go out and to change lives. And that's what He needs, see. And what I want you to understand more than anything else when you leave here today is that you have that power. It's there with you already. You just aren't tapping into it. So how do you do that? Again, there could be any number of answers to the question because everybody would have a good idea, a good thought about something that might put you in a position to tap into that power. I want to share with you just two things, okay, very quickly. If I were going to tell somebody, okay, what am I going to have to do to experience this power? What am I going to have to do to experience this resurrection power like Paul talked about? Because that's what we're really after. The power of God to know him that way, to experience him that way. First thing I'd tell you is this. That you're going to have to put his kingdom first. You're going to have to put his kingdom first in your life. How can you experience the power of God to be the we'll call it the champion of God in this day and age, to do the things God wants you to do in this day and age when you're not putting that kingdom first. Everything else in life gets pushed in front of it. Everything else becomes a priority. One of the things that irritates me about Christians more than anything else is Christians talk big. But when do you ever get out of that little safe place with which you've put yourself and put yourself out there to do something with eternal value? When? You know, Samson, in the end, he disobeyed God. He fell for Delilah's tricks and he had allowed her to cut his hair and out of disobedience to God. 
Because in that brief moment of temptation, Samson did something. He put this world before God's. He said, I love her more. Not in words, but that's what he meant, because that's what he did. And then Delilah brings in the Philistines, and they come and they take him. And Samson stood up to fight him, and God's power did not come powerfully upon him anymore. Because in that brief moment, he had given in to worldly priorities. The Bible talks to you and me about dying to self. That means that I've got to look and see, okay, these are, these are the things that I think are important in life, but they have to take second place to what's really important. Building the kingdom. Doing things of eternal value. Paul said it this way. Let me read you this verse. It's in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, taking into consideration all that God's done for you, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And we've talked about this. Holy, set apart. Here are all the things you value in this life. Now take your body, your life, tomorrow, the next day, and set it apart and go after the target. Go after what's of eternal value. He said, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the, power, the pattern of this world. In other words, don't be like everybody else but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You better think along these lines before this can ever take place. You've got to change the values. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you put His kingdom first. I've got to put the kingdom of God first before everything else in my life. And God says in Matthew 6 that when you do that, He gives you everything else anyway. The things that you think that you need, that you can't live without, God says, I'll give those to you. But put me first. Just put me first, and then you will experience this power. Number two is this. I would tell somebody this. I would say that you need to expect, expect the Holy Spirit to give you the power you need when you need it. When you need it. I added those words last night after I'd already sent this in, so you're not going to see that on your notes. But think about it. I've got to believe that what God says is true. That if I put myself out there and I step out in faith, that the Spirit of God is going to well up inside of me in a powerful way and show up for me so that I can accomplish what God has already told me to do. I've got to believe that or I will never move. And goodness gracious, guys, this is where so many of us are. We never move. We never do anything. We never take a risk. We never put ourselves out there. We would never, ever think of experiencing the power of God. And you've got to really boil it down to asking yourself this, why not? Why not? Because you don't really believe that God's going to be there for you. You don't believe it. 
with Samson, it says that whenever he honored the Lord, as long as he didn't cut his hair the way God said to do, this will be the sign of our, our agreement here. The Spirit of God showed up for him in a powerful way every time he needed it. You've got to believe God will do that for you. And yeah, I know, you're scared to death to talk. You're scared to death to do anything. You're scared to death to get out of your comfort zone. Believe me, I understand that. But I want you to understand that if you're ever going to experience this power, then you've got to move. So I would tell you, put his kingdom first and then expect the power to be there when you need it. And so you really boil it down to this, and I would say this to you in closing, okay? You need to stop looking for something that you already have. Stop looking for something you already have. The same power that these guys had is the same power that lives within you. Stop playing it safe. Just stop it. Step out and watch God show up for you in a powerful way. You know, you may be sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to share one verse with you, then we're going to end, okay? Here's the verse. Now watch it very carefully, okay? If you have any questions about your salvation. John 3:36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Now just look at the verse, okay? If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, believe in the Son, then you have right now eternal life. You have it. Not when you get to heaven, you have it now. It only culminates when you get to heaven. If you have eternal life, how long is it going to last? Forever. And when does it start? The moment you believe. See, this is God's promise. He said, but here's the problem. You don't believe and you reject it, and the Son of God will not, or rejects the Son, will not see life. And here's the reason why. It says, Before God, because God's wrath remains on them. Understand what that means, okay? That you are born into this world a sinner and that there is a wrath that is poured upon every sinner. Somebody has to pay for your sins. And if you don't buy into the substitute, if you don't put your faith in Him, if you don't accept Him, then you're going to have to pay for your own sins. And this is what he's talking about. Your, the wrath of God remains on you. All you have to do to spend eternity in hell, just do nothing. Because God has given you the remedy. And if you reject it, then you will pay for your own sins. You don't want that. God has given you a gift, but you have to accept it. You have to believe it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. As you sit there this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, then settle the issue. This is no complicated thing. You don't have to go through some big church process. Right there where you sit, make this decision that you're believing in Jesus Christ right now. Believe that he died on the cross, that he paid for your sins, that he rose from the dead, that the Bible says all of this. I don't know all of the ins and outs of it you may be thinking, but that's okay. You don't have to. You're saved by faith. 
accept it, believe it, and thank God for it. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Lord, we are overcome with the reality that you love us, that you have sent your Son to die for us, and that, Father, you have empowered us. Father, may we as your children live like it. Father, help us to believe it. Help us to step out in faith, understanding that the power shows up when it's needed. Lord, may we be that kind of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.